Welcome to Theology in the Dirt, where we try to practice our theology at home and in the public square of our city and our world. Your hosts are Keith Thompson and Mitchell Jolly. Theology in the Dirt is produced by Chris Hayes, and the artwork is by Kayla Sanner. Hey there, guys. Uh, We really appreciate you guys listening to and watching Theology in the Dirt. It's been a good time uh, producing. Uh, some content for you guys. We really appreciate you listening and watching. Uh, Last week, we talked to Lieutenant Commander Dr. Chris Auger on leadership. And today, you're going to hear part two of that time together with Chris. And there's going to be a part three as well on leadership. Appreciate the good feedback you guys have given and, and the help it's been to so many of you. Uh, that's really been cool to hear back from you. And so thank you for the comments. Thanks for the feedback. Keep it coming and hope you enjoy session two today and then the upcoming session three that will be produced. Have a great day. God bless. See you soon. You know, all these guys who write these books have, you know, there's 21 rule, 21 laws of irrefutable leadership and 25 this and 10 that. Do you, is, is there a point in here where you might want to go, well, here's the here's the five characteristics of a leader that seem to be most important to me or um here's the two or three things that are most important any, any it'd be interesting to i don't know if um i don't want to put you on the spot if you don't have that list or if you don't know what two or three of those things are but that'd be interesting to to go over well i think a a a, a better question in that is is that instead of trying to distill all of the scriptures into it if you were to ask me what is it in the scriptures that helps you in your leadership? Then I'm going to say, you know, years ago I ran into a situation where somebody who I felt was not doing their job and taking care of their people, I essentially came over the top at, and I got calibrated in that in that particular situation as a leader. And I began reading a proverb of the day because it's all about leadership character. Hmm. Character is the the preponderance of leadership. And what we need for leadership is is in Proverbs. Now, I couple that again, like I said, with the fruit of the Spirit. Because if I look at the fruit of the Spirit, I mean, there's nine very specific pieces that will guide me. I mean, in my doctorate program, I did the comparison between the fruit of the Spirit, emotional intelligence, and servant leadership and connected all the threads between them. The reality is, is the fruit of the spirit, the grounding of all of that. Okay. You know, yeah. other people have just kind of recreated it and repackaged it and made it sound nice. Mm. You know, 21 this or 15 that. I mean, it, it's, I think that's kind of the microwave mentality that we've gotten to in this world is, is it just don't make me read the whole Bible. Just give me the parts that I need. Right. Well, no, you, that's right. <laughs> that, that that is what you need. You need the whole Bible. It's 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 in its entirety that you need it. But if you were to ask me, you know, what in the Bible really helps my leadership, then I would I would say that, you know, it's that reading of a proverb of the day. And if I miss a day, that's fine. I just go to the day that it is and I read that one. And and I very prayerfully look for what in that proverb of that day speaks to me. And stands out to me and even after doing that for 10 years now 11 years there's still i am still finding new things in proverbs that speak to me in new ways 
Mm. You know, and that's in my mind, that's how the Lord's helping me with the leadership character component. That's rich. I, uh, Chris, I, I, uh, I would just heartily confess for me, I, uh, early on, uh, in, uh, as a young adult, uh, I used to have these debates with my, my buddies about leadership, whether it was, uh, uh, innate or you could learn it. And we'd have these debates about the, you know, that, and, uh, and, and I refused to study leadership because I felt like it, all the study just led to, confusing my task, which is foolishness. That's 21 year old logic. But then I read, uh, I read band of brothers when that eventually came out and Dick Winters became sort of this hero of mine. So I read his memoirs. Now he didn't say this, but this is my summary of his memoirs at the end. We talked about leadership. People ask him to speak about leadership. He, uh, again, not his words, but my summary basically comes down to these two things, make good decisions and go first. And so Dick Winters started me on this journey of trying to learn uh, and, and educate myself after even getting a master's degree and sort of shoving some of the necessary learning of that stuff behind me to think about leadership deeply. And that is make good decisions and, and go first. And his men always talked about he always made the right decisions and they're shocked that he lived through the war because he was the first one to run into a difficult situation. Um, talk about that a little bit. I know it's not on our outline, but it's coming to mind. It's not on our plan, but uh, are you familiar with Dick Winters? And, and, and what about that, those thoughts from him? Well, I, I'm familiar with it, but I mean, that's the leading by example. Right. How can I legitimately ask you do that, which I would not do or have not done? Right. And my goal would be able to do that in such a way that it's modeled how it's done. Hmm. Um, And, you know, with regards to the idea whether leaders are born or made, you know, I've had discussions with Eric Cohn on that, and I've had discussions with some other people that think leaders are born. Mm -hmm. Now, I come from a perspective of, no, I think leaders can be learned. Hmm. And then with some deep discussions with Eric Cohn, it was, it, it was, I came to an agreement that it's both. Mm. The Lord gives people very unique talents. Like my wife is a phenomenal artist. Yeah. I couldn't draw if I, I just, I can't, it, right. that, that, that's not in me to do that. Right. But he gave her the gift of an artist. Mm. And the mind and the ability to see things and things that I can't see. Right. So when the Bible talks about gifting, leadership can be a gifting. But if not cultivated through education and experiences, then it would be like an artist that didn't learn the different mediums and the different things Mm. and ways to actually pull out that talent talent that's within. Mm. So I think when we think about leadership, the great man theory, I would not, I don't think that's in effect. I think leadership can be a gifting, but I also think people can learn to be better leaders. Mm, That's good. At some point, everybody has to lead something. You know, if you're, if you're a father and you're not 
in some organization where that's necessary, you, you have to lead your family. So at some point, everybody has to lead something. And so you have to, you have to learn it, whether it's innate or not, I guess. <laughs> well, the, the truth of the matter is, is that everybody gets up every morning and looks in the mirror. Yeah. And that's who they begin leading that day. Mm. So we have to lead the one in the mirror first before we can lead others. And that's gold. That's gold. I'm taking notes, <laughs> continuing my education. This is good. Um, I, I want to come to the book, Wow, uh, in just okay. a minute. But we have some things. We're really flowing through some really good stuff here. Uh, and, and, and I'd like, to, like for you to talk about the difference, maybe in similarities between coaching and discipleship, leadership, coaching, and discipleship. Where do those interplay as a follower of Jesus? Uh, who is hopefully leading other people to follow Jesus and coaching and discipleship. Talk about that interplay a little bit. Well, in a, in a very literal sense, coaching is coming alongside somebody and pulling out of them, which is already there. It, it's essentially, you come alongside them, you ask them the powerful questions and you move them from where they are to where they would like to be. Um, it's not prescriptive. I don't have to have an expertise in anything. I've just got to have a very uh, talented ability to be able to ask you the right questions. Mm. Whereas discipleship is coming from a very prescriptive perspective. Scriptures are holy and fully truth, and that's what you're moving from in that perspective. So you're coming in with an agenda, and you're moving somebody from where they're at hopefully to where God would like them to be because they have to come along willingly. Mm. And then in that process, showing them why that's where they should want to be anyway. Mm. So the idea of discipleship, discipleship can use coaching based tools to come alongside people. It's still the, the powerful questions and being able to get people to discover when you start asking them those questions, they start discovering truths but because it's already grounded in a truth and an agenda that's kind of the very distinct difference between coaching and discipleship in and of itself that's good chris um i'm gonna i'm gonna put you on the spot um <laughs> and ask the question as so as a believer um we we believe that man's greatest need is reconciliation with god we believe that um men and women are fallen before they're born again. And um, when we were born again, the Holy Spirit comes into us, enables us, empowers us, gives us the ability to see, the ability to hear. Um, as a coach, and as you're dealing with someone who's not born again, um, how, much, how much can a coach help someone um, if that person, if it's in a context where they're not dealing with man's ultimate need. And I don't know if that makes any sense. If, if you're dealing with someone in a secular setting and you're not talking to them about Christ and, and the need for regeneration and reconciliation with God, but you're trying to coach them, you're trying to help them be their, you know, their best person based on their hopes and dreams, because you're not, like you said, as a coach, you're not telling them what they need. You're just helping them get there. Um, how, how does that, as a coach, you, as a Christian coach, you know what their ultimate need is. Mm -hmm. However, you're trying to help them get someplace really as a believer, we don't think they can ever get 
without Christ. So how do you work all that together? And that, that, how do you deal with that dilemma? Mm. Well, I think it, it's very similar in how dealing with it is, is, is that the language I'm using and the truths that support how I'm coaching them are still biblically grounded. Now, I'm going to approach them in, in a very discerning way. I'm going to try to discern what they're saying and how they're answering the questions. And if I'm coaching somebody utilizing the fruit of the Spirit, it may be language that may be extrapolated into a secular language, but it's still God's Word. Mm. If I'm encouraging them to be a servant leader and to think about others and not themselves, mm. I'm still speaking into them from Matthew. So I can use my knowledge and the people that are in my life, i.e. the two of you, and what I'm learning from you and how I fold that into how I then engage others. Mm. And it's a it's still a process. Coaching is a process. I'm not going to try to get him, get them there in one huge step. Mm -hmm. I'm going to get them there through some micro adjustments for that macro impact and then allow those cones of impact to, to build. But I'm going to walk them through that process. Just like if I've got a baby Christian and somebody has just given their life over to the Lord well, if they haven't even given their life over to the Lord and I'm going to go to them and talk to them about baptism, have I not gotten the cart way out in front of the horse? Should I be talking about them thinking about saving their lives and their relationship with the Lord before we actually try to move them into an expression of faith in public and baptism? So I'm not going to jump them all the way to baptism if they haven't gotten these other steps in the process because they're not going to understand why they would want to be able to do that, not only for themselves, but for their fellow believers around them. Mm. So coaching is very similar in that, in that I'm going to very intentionally ask questions that are going to force them to kind of look inside themselves and think about some things. And then that in the beginning, there's typically where they want to go after about four or five sessions, that is kind of, it's moved because they start discovering some things they didn't really realize they knew about themselves. And that helps move them in a direction. Mm -hmm. I hope that kind of answers what, what you were, uh, what you were asking. Yeah, that's good. Yeah. That, that's a, and, and the, the, what goes through my mind with, with those thoughts is that the truths of God are, applicable regardless because they are the supreme truth so you can take the fruit of the spirit you can take those principles and apply them anyway anywhere whether it be in a christian setting or a non-christian setting because they are the principles that govern the entire universe and they're good yeah. for everybody whether that person recognizes them as good for themselves or not yes absolutely mm, that's good stuff okay guys we're going to take another break and uh, we're going to come back and we're going to talk about Chris's book as a contributor and uh, be back in just a few minutes. The other thing that, that I don't know that we've addressed, um, and it was sort of in my question when I was dealing with the difference in a military setting and a civilian setting or even, um, or even a, a ministry setting. I know John Maxwell says one of the hardest places to leadership or the, one of the hardest places to lead is in a volunteer organization. 
um, you know, if you're, if I'm dealing with a, if I'm a, if I'm a military leader and I'm, or a, a ranking officer and I'm in a situation where I'm telling someone what to do, they really don't have the option to go, you know what, dude, I'm out. I'm not going to do that today. Um, I'm going to go back home or I'm going to join a different group because I'm just tired of you telling me what to do. Uh, yet as a, as a leader of a volunteer organization, folks do that all the time. Right. Um, um, they, they can just leave because authority is different there. Um, now, I, I get it doesn't mean that you wouldn't lead the same. I'm not saying that if I had, you know, captain on my badge, then I would just sort of throw caution to the wind and just start telling people what to do. Now, I know leadership means you lead the same, but the people that you're trying to lead may not respond the same. So um, there is this issue in leadership with uh, the nature of authority. And, and how it works. Um, and I don't know, you know, it seems like from a leadership perspective, that's something that we ought to talk about. How does, where does authority come from? How is it granted? You know, as a believer, we believe that ultimate authority is in the Lord and in the scriptures. Um, um, so I don't know, it's just a conversation. I don't know if that's worth having or not. I think that's absolutely like, go for it. Chris, what are your thoughts on that? Because that, that, that's where we are right now, right? That's, that's uh, Three Rivers Church. That's Restoration Rome. That's Cumberland Wilderness Retreat. Mm-hmm. We've we've got we're leading organizations that are in the dirt that are applying our theology in our world, addressing issues, and uh, and how do you lead an all volunteer army? How do you do that? Well, it, it it's interesting you put it in that perspective. Is is, is that. And even where I'm at right now, one of our key goals is to connect, inspire, and equip. Okay, so if I take that into my SEAL team era, and I've got five people that I could name, and I won't hear in this video, that are leaders that I never, ever want to be like. Hmm. And because they were the worst leaders possible, and they were all in the military, and it's a top-down structure, and... I've given myself to the organization, so I've agreed to listen to the orders and the people over me, and I have to abide in what they tell me to do. Now, if I have a leader that connects with me, inspires me, and equips me, I'm going to go forth and and run into the hail of bullet fire a whole lot more willingly that I am somebody who micromanages me and tells me exactly what to do, that that'll be exactly what they get. Mm. So if I have a military leader that says, do this, well, then I'll do that. It might not be to his advantage for me to do that. It might be for me to either do more or to tell him that might not be the best thing to do. Mm. So if he wants to be the leader in charge and be in a top-down structure, autocratic, do as I say, well, he, you know, I would argue that military leaders that do that, do that at their peril. Mm-hmm. Now, I've spoken to somebody here recently, and, you know, we talk about this idea, and it has driven me nuts that people, you know, in church staffs, well, they're volunteers. I can't make them do anything. Okay, so what I hear you saying is, is that you have a bunch of people that you pay, so you're going to use them like rented mules. Okay, that's that's not leadership. Just because you pay somebody and you hold that above them, now they've agreed that they'll come work for you and they will do X. 
Now, if you're going to hold that paycheck over them, then that's all you'll ever get from them. Mm. I would argue that if we looked at, and I encourage this individual owner of a business to say, what if you looked at everybody as a volunteer? Mm. Because they are, they, they can leave. There are, there are enough job opportunities out there that people can walk. They don't have to stay at this car wash. They can go to this car wash. You know, they don't have to stay on this church staff. They can go work on this church staff. I mean, we can make it very relevant. Now, again, like I said, if they contractually agree to come work for you, then there's things that they said that they would do. And if they don't do that, then we get to be fair, firm, and accountable because that's what servant leadership is. It's fair, it's firm, and it's accountable. And if they're not going to do what they agreed to, to do, well, then that's a different conversation. And then they can, you know, they, they then are then asking to be let go. So if we look at everybody as a volunteer, how do we inspire them? How do we connect with them? How do we then inspire them? And then how do we equip them to go do what it is they can do? How do we remove the obstacles as leaders so that they can flourish and really just show us what they can do, which is well beyond anything we could actually ask of them? They're going to give us more if they're inspired and connected. Hmm. So that's, that's kind of how I see that, that leadership perspective in an all-volunteer force. You know, whether, you know, if we just look at people as paid and we're holding their paycheck over, the, over their head, yeah, that's that's one methodology of control, but are you really inspiring them to do more for the greater kingdom? Hmm. I don't know. No, that's good. That's fantastic. I know personally, uh, people I will follow or people there's a relational connection. Um, there's there's an investment they they do. They they give me a vision worth running toward with them. And, and they've not left me to my own devices. They've coached me and, and given me some tools. And, and those are people I still follow today, mentors, spiritual fathers. And so that's that language, connect, inspire, and equip is rich. That's well, think cool. about what we do for discipleship. Is that not what we're doing? Yeah, that's exactly right. I mean, we're, it. We're, we're showing them the truth. Yeah. You know, we're, we're connecting them and we're showing them the truth. We're inspiring them in yeah. such a way that they would want to live out their confessed faith. Absolutely. I would even argue one of our greatest spiritual challenges in our context is the connection to spiritual fatherhood, spiritual motherhood, where, where a lot of even our disciple making has been absent of the relational component on the front. And it's been, uh, uh, it's been missing that fatherhood component or that motherhood component. And we have a lot of disconnected individual Christians that, try to make some sense of unity, mm-hmm. but the unity and individualism just don't mix real well. Mm-hmm. And so that connection, if it's not there, it's hard to inspire to something that's lifelong. Right. Wow. That's good. That's good stuff. Well, Hey, let's do this. Um, let's talk about, I'm going to put it up for the video and it's probably going to be backward because of how video works, but the <laughs> wow factor, um, Chris, what a great, uh, I love the book. It's fantastic. And on page 89, you are a contributor to this book, Word of the Week, The Wow Factor. Why don't you tell us a little bit about the book uh, and tell us about your role. And we'd love to also talk about your section in regard to uh, your Word of the Week, Grit. So tell us about The Wow Factor. Okay. Well, the 
the, the project lead for this whole uh, effort. I mean, it started out as a crazy idea from a gentleman by the name of Chris Gingasso. And I was working a uh, Shaw program for Windshape Teams, and he attended the program. And the latter part of the program, he just asked me, you know, he had this kind of idea, what if we just grabbed, he goes, I've been mulling this over about, you know, words have meaning how could we go about grabbing individual words and then decomposing them into their real meanings and where they're from and then putting into play some recommendations on how to use that word to move us forward. And then he asked if I would be interested in contributing a couple of words to the book. And I said, sure, why not? And then he goes, well, what word did you have in mind? And the word that I had was grit. Now, part of it, I didn't expect in the beginning. I mean, I'm just, just a dude working at Windshape, walking people through leadership and team development, you know, and the next thing I know, he's got a list of Lee Cockrell and people that ran Disney for the better part of a decade. And, you know, that's, uh, so all these thought leaders, he was actually able to go and just kind of pitch this to, and it spoke to them because everybody's got a couple of words that they kind of fall back on that mean something to them that have kind of helped them through their years, their leadership, their teaming and their following that could be helpful to somebody else. It's an easy read, pick one word a week, one word a day. I mean, however you want to read it. I mean, wow factor word of the week. It, it, it's just, how do I put that word in play throughout the week? How can I use that word to influence and help others. And like I said, my word, you know, we landed on grit for me. So, right. Well, why don't you talk about grit? Tell us, uh, I love it. Uh, absolutely adore it. And, uh, and, and walk us through, walk us through some of those, particularly, uh, one of my favorite is embrace the suck. And you might not want to talk about, <laughs> about that first, but, uh, my father uh, was good at about teaching me. He didn't, he didn't say embrace the suck. He just said, get used to the hard. It's good for you, mm-hmm. but embrace the sucks rich. So talk about grit and, and how grit plays out. Well, it's interesting because when we think about grit, okay, so I'm just going to read some literal translations here. You know, uh, grit is a noun as small, loose particles of stone or sand. A second meaning would be uh, courage and resolve strength of character. And then in the verb sense, it's move with or make a grating sound. Now, grit oftentimes is interwoven or used uh, in conjunction with words, perseverance and resilience. Okay, perseverance has kind of got more of a persistence meeting um, in completing a long-term goal Grit's not only the courage to undertake a difficult task, but also the fortitude to persist in spite of pain and dangers. Resilience is more about the optimism to keep bouncing back after you get knocked down. Mm. So just out of context, those they have different meanings, but they're often used interchangeably. Um, what I came up with is this idea of grit. Grit to me is, you know, there's an equation that's associated with in the book kind of, I didn't get ahead of the uh, publishers on this one, but 
grit itself, if we think about it this way, grit is forged by the fires of experience and the hammer of time. Mm. So the idea of being forged, you know, that you're, you're being heated up to almost melting and then literally a hammer is just moving you into shape. Mm. So the analogy of that, I mean, when we think about some of those times that were just, am I going to get through this? I mean, how am I going to get through this? And then you get through it and then you look back on it. I, okay. I'm stronger for having gone through that. Right. You know, now grit comes in many forms. I talk about in the book that, you know, I've had my experiences of grit, but they're no different than if you look at a young lady that has had children out of wedlock at an early age or her husband wasn't man enough to stick around and she's two jobs, putting kids through school and college. Right. I mean, there's somebody that is living is the living image of grit right. in my mind. Right. That's so true. that's, you know, we talk about embracing the suck. It's the hardship of lives. Mm-hmm. You know, sometimes it's just like people have said, well, you've learned how to deal with the weather and you've learned how to, you know, ex- you know, you learn how to live with cold. No, I hate cold. I hate being cold. I've just learned not to whine about it. I mean, <laughs> if I am cold, I'm going to pursue a way to get warm. Right. I mean, that's what I'm going to do with that, but I'm not going to whine about it in the process. I'm just going to move out and make it happen. Right. Now, I mean, similarly, if I'm in a low point or if I'm not working and I'm the breadwinner of my family, that's a hardship. I'm going to figure out a way to go get two or three jobs if I have to right? get my family through that moment and into a better place. Mm-hmm. But I'm not going to whine about it in the process. I'm going to figure out a way to, you know, to make it happen. And I'm going to, I'm going to get after that. Mm. So, you know, but oftentimes people talk about this idea of grit, but they really don't know where they're going. They mm-hmm. haven't stopped to kind of sit and think and create what I call a vivid picture of the future. Right. If I, if I specifically, like I challenge people that I coach now and it's, if you woke up in five years on a Saturday morning and life was perfect, what would that look like? And give me all the details, that vivid picture of the future. Right. Well, if I know where that vision, if, you know, people without vision perish, Mm -hmm. Out of Proverbs. <laughs> That's right. Yep. So if I'm looking at that vision, if I'm doing something that takes me away from that picture of the future, right. then I know how to come back. If I don't have that picture of the future, where, where am I going? Mm. So I encourage people to, you know, create that vivid picture. Of the future. If somebody's, you know, and, and my wife and I, it took us years to figure out that credit cards were not a good thing for this family to have. Because We'd get the loans that would help us get out of the credit card debt. We'd pay off the loan. Next thing you know, we'd have credit card debt again. So we understood that we're, we're not going to use that. Mm. So it's learning how do we actually get to a picture of the future and learning from where we've been so that we get to where we'd like to go. Mm. You know, and that's developing that genuine reality piece. We had to, we had to accept the reality that those are things that would get away from us. And then we'd end up in the hurt locker mm. and not where we wanted to be. And then it would take us some time to get out of that. Mm. So being real with ourselves and actually creating, okay, what's my current circumstance? Right. You know, what's re- what's really going on here? What, what's the picture of the future? 
Mm. And how am I going to move out to get to that picture of the future? Mm. Mm. So, and, and grit is something like a muscle. We can exercise it. Mm. And as we move through time and as we move through hardships and we learn, right. Then we can use what we've learned from. We can even learn from the things that we went at, right. Actually move forward to where it is we want to get to. So, so learning is, is not just, uh, it, it's staying in the fire, not, not getting out because it's hard, but pushing through, learning to persevere, and then even taking the lesson from winning, uh, you can develop grit. Absolutely. Mm. But again, we have to exercise it right. over time right. or for us to really develop that. Mm. It isn't something one day we just wake up and go, oh, I have grit. <laughs> it doesn't quite work that way. <laughs> right, right, right. It's forged in, in, in the fire. Yes, absolutely. That's good stuff. Keith, you have any thoughts, any more uh, final thoughts on leadership? Man, um, no, it's good stuff. I, I appreciate, Chris, everything you've shared with us. I love um, I love the the perspective of um yeah. creating the vivid picture in your mind of where you're going and and how leadership always includes you know casting some kind of vision um and, and getting folks to buy into that and uh i know I, I from what i've seen in you and the experiences i've had with you i know that that's part of your life now and certainly was back in the in the seal days but i just appreciate your time yep absolutely My yeah, Chris, we're grateful for you. Thank you again. As as Keith said, I want to say to you, thank you for your service. We're grateful for you, and we're glad to have you in Rome, Georgia, and, and part of our team, and and continue our learning and learning from you. Uh, we're grateful for your enrichment and your leadership. Appreciate it. Thanks. Absolutely. Hey, guys, appreciate the time. It's been a lot of fun today, and uh, you guys who are listening and watching, we appreciate you. Don't forget an Apple podcast to leave us a rating. Uh, you have a chance to do that. We'd appreciate it if you would make it a five-star rating. You can leave some comments, but be honest as well. And so if we suck, we'll embrace the suck. <laughs> if we're great and five-star, we'll, we'll take that as well. And uh, we appreciate it. You can also email questions at theologyinthedirt at gmail.com. And uh, hopefully we'll be able to get to some of those questions as we move through together in this. Again, Lieutenant Commander Dr. Chris Auger, thank you for your time. It's been a joy. Thank you. Booyah. Hey, thank you for listening to Theology in the Dirt. You can email us at theologyinthedirt at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you with some feedback and perhaps some questions that you'd like us to tackle. We'll see you next week. And until then, deuces. <laughs>